Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are going to be talking about Wuthering Heights, which is Emily Bronte's 1847 novel. I thought it was written by a man. Somebody Bell? <laughs> Ellis. Ellis Bell. Ellis ah, yes. Bell. <laughs> Not a made up name at all. But it's a novel about being super turnt in the Yorkshire Moors, as everyone is. Or actually, it's about the love affair between Heathcliff, this outsider anti-hero with long hair, and Catherine Earnshaw, and the many fucked up generational consequences of that affair. So uh, Tristan, this is your pick. So why Wuthering Heights? I absolutely love this novel. I first read it about 20 years ago, and it was even better this time knowing a lot more about its context and the literary traditions Emily Bronte was working in. It is, and and I want Bronte fans to know, I mean, this is a very sincere compliment as an 18th centuryist trashy in the best of ways, like the ways that the great Gothic novels are. And and by that, I mean, it is torrid as hell. It's pulpy in that it's it really is a page turner, I think. It's extremely horny, as Megan already said. Nerves both the characters and the novels and the reader's nerves, just a, a fucking hot wire the whole way through. But it's also really, really smart. I'm not sure the Gothic novel of the 19th century, and, and we can debate whether that's entirely an adequate description of whatever the fuck Wuthering Heights is, but it, it is definitely of the Gothic tradition. I, and I'm just not sure there is a, a Gothic novel in the in the 1800s that gets better or, or more sophisticated uh, narratively than Wuthering Heights. I'm super interested in Heathcliff as a novelistic character. Like some of the most complex works of fiction we've discussed, he really tests the reader's capacity to sympathize with him. Um, and I, I would argue forecloses our ability to sympathize with him in many places. And yet, and this is really kind of sentimental novel hours, there's an intensity of feeling around him that he expresses that I think almost weirdly demands sympathy, which is just, I don't know, it's, that's a very interesting effect. And he gets sufficient backstory that even if it's not sympathy, it's like some degree of understanding or something, yes. right? So it's yes. like, oh, this comes from something. It's not like – I think it's interesting too. So we're going to talk about this, but you see his his experience recapitulated in another generation and he talks about understanding exactly how it feels. Yeah. Yes. There are all these ways that it does create a kind of like sympathetic engagement and then it and then it sort of actively tries to foreclose some of that, which again, that is a fascinating tension at this point in the history of the novel, because this is at a time when every goddamn Victorian critic was like, what moral does this novel teach? Will it make young ladies too horny? Uh, how, how much do we want to bang yes. or, or I mean be its central character? I mean, that that is that's Victorian critic. That, that's not what Victorianists do. That's what Victorian yeah. literary critics do. Matthew Arnold motherfuckers over <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, fucking Henry Morley and shit. Yeah, exactly. And then Wuthering Heights just does all the great stuff that great versions of the Gothic do. There are definitely important claims to pursue here about how gender is conceived. There are implicit critiques of the family and patriarchy, and, and implicit and ex explicit, I think. There's a ton of critical pressure centering on things like nation and 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 race and empire. Um, Heathcliff's othering is something that we're we're definitely going to talk about. If you're into psychoanalytic criticism, you could go wild with the novel's many compelling and fucked up circuits of desire and like hysteria and shit like that. There's some kind of critique of capital and and quote unquote reason um, and 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 the realist novel. I think that's happening. Bottom line, this is good shit. Emily Bronte rocks, and everyone should read this. It's powerful, extremely damp, moving, and a great time. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so damp. 
so like I should know I do want to note up front that I have not read this book I'm I, I have now there was no good reason I wasn't being like I, I wasn't doing a thing and I would like re- listeners to know that just because you have a PhD in books and in my case like books and butts that doesn't mean you've read all the books and it happened twice this week that I told someone I was reading this book and they were like yeah but you've read it before right <laughs> and I was like uh, yeah and you know I actually I will also say that it, this is one of those books that there it has so many fads that particularly if you're not like immersed in this specific like subfield you can be like yeah like how good could this thing really be but this is like what oh, those Wuthering cases. can the heights be yeah how how fucking weathery could those heights be but but this this actually it lives up to the hype I think yeah you know? it does but I wasn't even I just didn't get around to it in this case i wasn't like resistant to the fan culture i was just like i got other shit to read (laughs) yeah yeah for sure so when you're a grad student like you get the field specific gaps out of the way usually like i've read huck finn or you like i don't have nearly so many embarrassing gaps over there but you don't have as much time to do anything but the like big you know like the big guys in other fields yeah and I'm not a closet Victorianist in the way that I'm like a closet Germanist or like a closet 18th centuryist. <laughs> I am like a straight up know nothing Victorianist. Like I don't know anything at all. I know that they had the biggest books in all the land, like <laughs> so big that they will break your toe if you drop them. And they were all green. Yeah. <laughs> they were all green. Yeah. And full of arsenic. But Wuthering Heights is like it is so good it is so good and i didn't appreciate it until i learned that this is just a book where people get so horny that they shriek and bite their pillows and i mean that totally literally yeah we'll we'll come we'll circle back to that yeah oh we're coming back to that they lose their minds just in the most intense this book is intense like yeah yeah it's just thick not, not long it's just there's a lot and i totally agree with you tristan like my freud brain was very much like popping off here i just like felt extremely bad for all these Catherines, and they're just like being so you know they're really in like pent up they're yeah. really yeah. <laughs> they're really busting yeah. and yeah and they're hysterics in the most fun way they're not laying in bed dying of you know uterine miseries they're they're like throwing <laughs> themselves out windows and stuff they're not um, dying of virtue <laughs> they are new but i did think that they could benefit from a little more um like like contact with the nethers <laughs> i feel like that would have improved their lives yeah. a little bit yeah it's a penetrating insight <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and but I, yeah like there there are some almost overtly sexual scenes in this book which we'll we'll get into you know so it's it's the the, the repressed desire is only repressed by the like barest of yeah, exactly. yeah totally exactly <laughs> very bad at repression yeah. it's very bad in again like the best way i feel the bronte family crest must say like go for long walks no fap <laughs> and in the middle there's a picture of the moors and a cloud a rain cloud um 
<laughs> and that's their family motto. I also, this was like, I texted you both early in the week when I was first starting this. And I was like, damn, these people stay up hella late. This is, yeah. I relate. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, me too. Me too. Getting up early is in a way staying up later than anyone. If you, you think about it, go for it. I, <laughs> I am not. I'm just grateful I have a kid who wakes up at 8 a.m. Yeah. Just, just enormous gratitude for that. Yeah. Left to my own devices, I'm a go to bed after sunrise kind of guy. So I keep it to 1230 these days, and I feel yeah. like it takes enormous personal discipline to yeah. make that happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is bedtime. It's bedtime, you two. It's time for bed. It's sl- it's 8 p.m. What are you doing? It's We, we have to be up at 4. <laughs> See, this is the exact thing that's like, I am rebelling. This is adult sovereignty to me. That's what I'm taking advantage of. I can eat ice cream whenever the fuck I want. I go to bed when I want. I watch R-rated movies all the time. And I do that because I am 40 years old and grown-up sovereignty is entirely mine. No one can tell you shit. If I say to somebody, may I have a popsicle, nobody's like, no, you already had one. Right. Yeah. That's no, adulthood. That's, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It's not. It's okay. not. I wish I could tell you that it was like cocaine and parties, but it's just like you can have a second popsicle. I love being 40 because all of my old man proclivities like not wanting to do shit and, you know, <laughs> just sit around reading the newspaper all day. Like those are no longer like, what's wrong with you? You're so young. It's like, no, no, these are they expected now. It's like, I've, I've been waiting for this moment, you know, but you, you were the, the right oldest, to shake your fist. You were the <laughs> oldest man I knew at 27 years old. <laughs> Even I met a long time ago and you're old then. Yes. No, I mean, that, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I say that with the, deep love but uh (laughs) katie why did you want to reread this and can i ask when did you first read this okay so i first read this studying for the gre literature exam (laughs) hey that's when i first read the fairy queen it was useless yeah (laughs) i took an entire class on the fairy queen (laughs) i can't even remember what dumb shit i i read for that but anyway well but you picked a good one though (laughs) yeah that and a lot of restoration comedies but anyway two things one, I'm you two can be as old as you want. I'm going to be twelve forever. Not <laughs> <And that laughs> about an eight. Yeah, that's my that is my pledge. And I love this book because it is like if you took the Three Stooges and got them so horny at a morgue <laughs> that was open air. Yeah. <laughs> yep. No. No uh, drawers. No, no. But every other page, someone's biting, slapping, poking eyes, throwing knives, wanting to fuck their brother, opening a coffin to see if their dead girlfriend's still hot. The aristocrats. Hey, two weeks in a row. Two weeks in a row. Gilbert Godfrey reads Wuthering Heights. Yeah. I think that that would be a slightly more fun than Gilbert yeah. Gottfried reads the plotting <laughs> buttholes of naked yeah. Yeah. The buttholes they plotted. But these buttholes fly right along. They do. They fly, they fly up and down the moor. All their buttholes do. With wet hair and just like oh. <laughs> snow up to their face. <laughs> just all kinds of all kinds of mess. But the thing is, you have to love it because it's great and you also have to love it because it's so goddamn funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it so yeah. hilarious. And it's funny from the beginning. It primes you. So one of the first things that happens in the book is this guy's kissing his landlord's ass. And <laughs> he's such a dipshit that he looks at a pile of fur 
on the floor and asks the lord of the manor's kidnapped daughter-in-law, oh, is that your favorite pet? I'm good at making conversation. And it's actually just an ass load of dead rabbits in a pile. I, I left that out of the summary because Lockwood does so much other dipshit stuff. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about it, but that's like one of the best things. You know? so Can I sleep in four of the empty rooms in your house? <laughs> yeah. oh, God. I need uh, a nicer bed. Yeah. I oh, want to read all these diaries and talk to all the ghosts. But yeah, no, I, I'll i say having read it twice didn't get me out of saying what the fuck any more time. I, I still said it all the times that you you will um, if you if you read this book. A lot of exclamation points in my margins. Oh, a yeah. lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, yeah, LOLs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lots yeah, of yeah. lots of LOLs. Yeah. So many LOLs. It is also a genuinely cool thing to read, as both of you said. It's weird as hell. Uh, it's structurally interesting. It's definitely interesting on the topic of narrators and narration. And there are some genuine surprises. It makes you suspend your disbelief sure. enough. It's like, it's not that many. It's not like a surprise party, but still. Okay, so another thing that you have to know, and this this will come up again, I'm sorry, to Tristan in particular, but... <laughs> This book is essentially the inspo for the Twilight novels, uh, which yeah, I will right. go sexily into my grave because that's how you do it, insisting <laughs> that these are high art. And that means that it seems like art if you're high. But- <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Except like that seems so wild to me because these heroines are so filled in and so wacky that compared to the twilight you know like she's so blank okay so the 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 dude in the twilight novels is all of the wuthering heights characters together they're all in him they're all yeah they're all there wow wow he's way less horny than i would have thought given that information yeah i think it's a deep deep and profound vein of horniness that is very disturbing (laughs) He has literal cold skin. He has cold skin and he is he's he's hard as a rock. All of him is. <laughs> <laughs> Not nearly no. so sweaty is this book. <laughs> no, nothing nothing is sweatier than this book. But no, I I'll just say that if you can make it through Wuthering Heights or any pick pick any any of those any of the Stephanie Meyer classics, the old Twilight saga, if you can make it through either and not laugh your fucking ass off at least once then to me you are the sort of person who would hang your wife's dog out of spite that's also a thing that happens in this and i question your humanity um and yeah and as we've mentioned as tristan has mentioned this is a damp damp novel it is so damp and i find it important to note that it is damp with ectoplasm only it's just ghosts (laughs) nothing else don't worry about any you can sit on any of the wet spots it's fine won't be weird oh man yeah i remember uh i feel like we've talked about this we might even have mentioned it on the show but that there was a weather there was like a a twilight promoting weathering heights edition that came out that was like read edward and bella's favorite novel there was oh my god please kill me (laughs) like yeah and it's it looks like a like a supermarket romance and and 
there, the, it, it is like yeah. there it is that but like yeah. with gold embossed letters on the cover yeah oh, okay this is something that i'm sure you, that i i must have blocked out due to t- trauma just it's <laughs> yeah. I, it disappeared in the lacuna of trauma but we should have read yeah. that edition that's the edition we have to recommend yeah yeah for sure i mean except that it's like a mass market paperback which i don't like not because of snobbery just because i don't i don't like the way the page is open it doesn't get wide enough open for me (laughs) i'm 40 so today we're talking about gender we mean that in a big way like masculinity patriarchy sexuality we're talking about incest because we always are the narrative or narrative framing and racialization and otherness so Tristan, uh, walk us through what happens. So two two things are important to bear in mind as we set out on this ultra goth adventure. One, even though there are only a handful of characters, it can be really confusing to talk about them because in true incesty or okay, okay, endogamy, like they're not brother sister, more like cousin cousin, except Catherine and Heathcliff kind of are brother sister. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have the same fucking name. Yep. Heathcliff, Catherine Heathcliff, Catherine Linton, Linton Heathcliff. And then we have this other dude, Harrington Earnshaw, who's an inscription on the door, but also Harrington Earnshaw, the illiterate farmhand. There's some dude named Edgar for variety, but that's all the variety we get. To, uh, to be very clear, too, on the name and incesty thing, Wuthering Heights knows this is a problem, and it is really, really fascinated by that problem. It's for sure on purpose. It's yes. like the sound and the fury when they're all named Quentin. Yes. Yeah, it wasn't like she couldn't think of other names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's no dummy. That's for sure. Yeah. And second, we we again, I you know, we we've said this, but we have to emphasize this is maybe the horniest novel in the Victorian British canon. It again, the absolute best of ways. Okay, so we start the novel with Megan's favorite character type, a feckless boob on a trip. <laughs> I just it's your favorite character type. I just called him. I just named him that. Yes, right. No, yeah, you're 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 that is that you're uh, a very well substantiated contention that the feckless boob on, on a trip is the protagonist of the 18th century novel. And and we we learn in Wuthering Heights he doesn't die with the 18th century novel. Here here's our no, he doesn't our big wet boy alive in the second decade of Victoria's reign. Um, yeah, look at him. Look at him. Though, um, okay, I mean, the novel is set basically in the 18th century, so maybe maybe uh, Emily Bronte was going for a little bit of a historical <laughs> fiction there. Yeah, it's so like 1801, right? Yeah, eight, yes, 1801. Oh, 1801 right. is the real time of the novel, but it is actually in 20 years before or something. Y- right, correct, yes. But the, the, the initial framing device is 1801. Okay, so our feckless boob here is Lockwood, who is a rich, urbane, according to him, uh, asshole vacationing in this desolate part of the Yorkshire Moors to recover from the embarrassing experience of getting turned for some lady at a seaside resort. She likes him back, but then he gets too awkward and steps on his own dick, and she's like, yeah, I'm going to change my <laughs> swipe to swipe left on this weirdo. <laughs> Blocked. <laughs> Yeah, here's Lockwood recounting that. She understood me at last and returned to look. So I guess he's just been like staring at this woman like hardcore. Regular Uh, guy. The sweetest of all imaginable looks. And what did I do? I confess it with shame, shrunk icily into myself like a snail. And every glance retired colder and farther till finally the poor innocent was led to doubt her own sense and overwhelmed with confusion at her supposed mistake persuaded her mama to decamp. <laughs> 14 yeah, mama, we got to decamp. Yes, yeah, right. He's like, looking at me still. 
<laughs> I mean, he's, I think he's like 27 or something, but yes, he's like, this is, this is like 13 year old shit. I have a crush on this girl and it's embarrassing. And I kept being like, I can't talk to her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I still think girls are icky, but I, you know, anyway. And yeah, that, you. that's a somewhat recurring theme in the novel that is character that we have characters who are like an excess of passion i.e horniness and whose passion spills over into myriad threatening ways both to themselves and to others opposed by figures like lockwood who are basically the terry jones prince from monty python and the holy grail but but i don't want ladies or gentlemen father i just want to drink me milk and be whiny and sickly in me room please <laughs> but, like, he is too strong. To, to be fair that honestly that what i just did is is more of a description of linton heathcliff who we'll get to that that he is uh but but lockwood is he's he's in that sort of vein i uh, just you just talk like, in the summary about how the moment where kathy gives him a pillow and he's like that's too soft and she gives him <laughs> another one he's like that's too hard no i left that out yes but i'll, I'll we'll, we'll we'll come back to that yeah because that's yeah it's you amazing. can't get in all the like cunty bits that bronte no. drops in no. to like no. make you know who the like wettest boys are yes no you you can't and and, and linton and we'll get there. I mean, he's, yeah, he probably is the wettest and that he's just covered in mucus and, uh, but he's, uh, he, tears. He, 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 but anyway, yeah. So, so characters like Lockwood just kind of a black hole of horniness, right? Not spilling over, uh, anywhere. So Lockwood goes to, and Kate, Katie already, uh, referenced this, this scene. He goes to introduce himself at the house of his landlord, this guy Heathcliff, who lives in this spooky shithole. And it really is a shithole. I mean, that, I think that it's, that's important, right? It's, it, which is called Wuthering Heights and so named because Wuthering is, quote, a significant provincial adjective descriptive of the atmospheric tumult to which its station is exposed in stormy weather. Oh, the heights they withered like you've never seen. <laughs> well, and, you know, and, and so actually, I, mean, I like want to pause there. Um, this is my 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 wife pointed this out, uh, and it's really important. Uh, it, like, whether so, okay, so the 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 big powerful tyrant in their castle that's like a gothic trope, and Wuthering Heights kind of doesn't work that way. In that, I mean, it is it is a shithole. I, I, yeah, Christine pointed out, you know, Wuthering Heights. It's like that's the geographic location, and and it's. It, it, it you know it's not like oh like big big swinging yeah it's dick not a manor. castle yeah yeah right no, exactly no, it's no. it's it, it's a geographic location and also the what like it, its shittiness is kind of telegraphed in its name which so that that's it like what exactly is being figured by the the kind of tyrant uh, like landowner is is um in, in, in interesting and I think somewhat different from is how that how that Katie pronounces like watering the garden is watering watering <laughs> watering I, I love to wither my gardens. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Mid Atlantic represent. Yeah, and 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 yeah. So again, it, the, the house it's this old ass, pretty small. Like it, it only has a few rooms. It kind of country cold seat. as fuck. Cold as fuck. Things are falling apart. Very dirty and dusty. Built in fifteen hundred, so quite old. As, as the inscription over the door tells us that this is an old house. Yes, <laughs> this is an old creepy house. Lockwood is renting from Heathcliff the much nicer uh, Thrustcross Grange, which that actually does have like a manor quality to it, uh, much more so than uh, whether the name Wuthering Heights does, which is a few miles away. But but Heathcliff chooses to live at his little goth mansion, and everyone there is sinister as fuck, right? Like so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Joseph, uh, the the main male servant, is this arch Calvinist weirdo who basically just shouts Bible verses in in broad Yorkshire dialect at everyone. Hareton Earnshaw, who clearly has some important relationship to the place because next to 1500 over the door, his name is written there, right? Although he can't read it. You know, he's, yeah, so he's just this morose, very awkward, somewhat, again, somewhat sinister, illiterate farmhand. And then there's also Catherine Heathcliff, whom Lockwood at first mistakes for Heathcliff's wife, but she's like, fuck no, I hate him. And also you're a big dumbass and those are dead rabbits, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is 100% true. And Lockwood is kind of horny for Catherine. He, he like he, he says I, she's like 17. But, but anyway, like everyone there is like, why are you here? We hate visitors. Go away. And Heathcliff himself is slightly more cordial, but he's also like, thanks for renting the Grange, leave. So what does our big wet boy do? He decides to come visit again at a snowstorm. <laughs> this is he's the most so virgin cool. shit that yeah, he, yeah, he keeps. He gets it. He yeah. just oh, he gets, is, <laughs> he's just doing virgin shit left and right. He's like, yeah. I'm going to stay up all night listening to stories. I'm going to come back in a snowstorm. Just an asshole. He, when he notices things are starting to get awkward at the dinner table or at the table, he's like, I should talk more because if I <laughs> mess this up, then I got to yeah. fix it by jabbering my jaw. Yeah. Very, very anti-Chad. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah, true. But yeah, yeah. we should note, you know, truly, uh, he is truly being a feckless boob on a trip here. A, a character very prominent in, yes, Megan, the 18th century novel, but but more specifically the, the Gothic and in a lot of historical fiction from the early 19th century. Uh, so John Bug, who who edited the, the Oxford edition notes, uh, Lockwood has a lot in common with, for example, Walter Scott's heroes or, or Sidney Owenson's. Walter Scott is the king of the boob, the yes. feckless boob. Yeah, Scott like perfected that form for sure. Um, but but you know, in Scott or Owenson, these these dipshits are are like these emissaries of the South, so like metropolitan Britain to areas the metropole thinks of as hinterlands, whether that be Scotland, Ireland, or here the north of England. But a key difference between uh, Lockwood and and those uh, feckless boobs is he's kind of dismissed from the narrative much more effectually than generally the case. Like he, you know, I don't know, like uh, Frank Osbaldistone manages to keep his dumbassery like very central in a way that Lockwood kind of does just fuck off for a lot of the narrative. Yeah. Also, they're all in love with smart women, but like in those books, the women seem to keep their shit together. Yes. And in this book, all the women are just like, shrieking and rending their clothing yes. you know it's like yes. no. Sydney Owenson's they- heroines are quite you know they're they're yes. really bright but they're also like they know what they're doing yes yeah in in this novel there when they're not screaming and biting things they're commissioning headstones that say I told you I was sick <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure, for sure, for sure yeah yeah. So anyway, so Lockwood, yeah, snowstorm. He decides to pay a second visit, and, and, and no one wants to see this guy. Uh, he asks for a room because he's like, "Oh no, I can't walk home." Aren't you glad that you've got an overnight guest at, at Heathcliff? Is like, have nowhere for you. Go away. Yeah, he's like, "Alameo, no, uh, <laughs> I'm not giving you a room." <laughs> the, he goes to pet the honey dogs, and they bite the <laughs> shit out of him. Yeah, it's amazing. But eventually, Heathcliff is just so annoyed. He's like, "Fine, yeah, you, you know, go, go get a room. Fuck off. I just stop." Don't touch with anything you. else. Yeah, don't touch yeah. anything else. Just, you know, yeah. <laughs> don't talk to the ladies. Go away. Yeah. Get your yeah. hand off the dogs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Idiot. Um, <laughs> it growled and, and, at me really mean, and then I was like, I should pet it. 
And the one, uh, yeah, the, the room that Lockwood takes is the most gothic room of all time. It's got this big ass cabinet of a bed that it closes a window. Uh, it has some dead lady named Catherine Earnshaw's journal in it that talks all about Heathcliff. Heathcliff and Catherine's name is scrawled all over this bed, as well as Catherine Linton. Hmm. And, and also Catherine Heathcliff, like the hot lady downstairs. It's like easy. No, no, we're, we're talking about someone else. Just chill, man. Just yeah. You're in a Shirley Jackson novel. Try and get it together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, this is where we're doing Hill House hours for sure. So Lockwood falls asleep because as a dipshit, he doesn't realize he's in a gothic novel. And that is a pretty gothic trope, right? You've got, you don't, the, the, the idiot in the gothic novel never knows that they're in a gothic novel. And, and he, you know, he sees a fucking ghost. So he wake. this is amazing. He wakes up because this creepy tree is scraping against the window pane and he acts very chill and normal. So he says, I must stop it. Nevertheless, I muttered, knocking my knuckles through the glass. So he punches through the fucking window. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and and stretching an arm out to seize the importunate branch, instead of which my fingers closed on the fingers of a little ice-cold hand. The intense horror of nightmare came over me. I tried to draw back my arm, but the hand clung to it, and a most melancholy voice sobbed, Let me in, let me in. Who are you, I asked, struggling meanwhile to disengage myself. Catherine Linton, it replied, shiveringly. Why did I think of Linton? I had read Earnshaw 20 times for Linton. I, I'm, I, I'm come home. I'd lost my way on the moor. I, I do want to note that we're pretty much in the Radcliffean Gothic, so like Anne Radcliffe style, meaning the supernatural always has a rational explanation here. So like Lockwood hears, oh, like, okay, I, it wasn't a ghost. It was like, I read all this creepy shit, and that's why I had like this like nightmare as I was waking up. And it's not real. It was a dream. But we don't have to necessarily believe like I mean, we can imagine this however we want, but I, I think the novel always like gives you that possibility that there's, there is a quote unquote rational explanation that you can, you can envision if you don't want to do the supernatural thing. Ghost children aren't real and they can't hurt me. Ghost children aren't real and they can't hurt me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the ghosts are not the cool shit in this novel. No, no, no. At least not, you know, it's like not, no. it's not the turn of the screw. Yeah, yeah, the, right, exactly. Um, no, it, or it's, the it, ca- the castle, <laughs> the castle of Atrondo. I don't know what's yeah, in that novel. Nothing is that. <laughs> no, I mean that like, a lot of the goth. I mean, you know, and, and this is this is like sort of Stephen King at his best, right? The 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 supernatural is largely a vehicle for like psychological horror and and and, and trauma and things like that. I mean, Castle of Atrondo. No, it's the fucking giant knight helmet that crushes the the dipshit. Like that's that's the cool part. Um, I wish a knight helmet would would do some <laughs> do some stuff in this one sometimes. Yeah, that's true. It could take out some people. I would yeah. I I would not regret uh, Lockwood getting crushed to death by a giant night helmet. No. I wouldn't say no. No. Sounds like sounds like a good uh, good rewrite. But yeah, so Lockwood, yeah, freaked out. He's dreaming, except some details of, of the dream like the name Linton are prescient as we'll find out. And Heathcliff when he hears all the bullshit coming from the obviously haunted room is pissed. But then also there's this desperation. Um, he throws the window open and starts yelling, Kathy, do come oh, do once more. Oh, my heart's darling. Hear me this time, Catherine at last. So again, I mean, Heathcliff, you know, he, he's introduced as this like, like Byronic anti-hero, like tyrant. Um, and, and he very, you know, we, we start to, he's more than just an asshole. Like there's some kind of like deep sort of like loss or like tragedy about him. Um, in addition to the fact that, yeah, he's also a sinister jerk, you know, <laughs> but so anyway, cool Aaron Airbnb here, definitely getting a good <laughs> review, right? I'd go. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah I so. love being cold and haunted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would I would go just to see what this fucking cabinet bed thing is. It's That's just true. it's like a coffin. Yeah, it, yes. He was told yeah. it was a bed. That's yes, you're right. No, that's right. So anyway, Lockwood does finally make it back to the Grange and he asks his housekeeper, Nellie Dean, what the fuck is up with those weirdos? You, you know them, you lived with them for a long time, you know, dish. And I'll go through the main plot a, a bit more quickly uh, than I have the exposition, but I, I did want to spend some time on that exposition of scene, which is highly gothic in a lot of ways. The spookiness, the remoteness, the supernatural, but but also the tyrannical patriarch and, and Heathcliff and also the kind of tragic kind of antihero. And also just to note the multiple narrative frames, which people who work on narratology in this novel are very interested in. Um, I actually had an MA student uh, do a project on this a few years ago with Wuthering Heights. The novel is Lockwood recounting Nellie Dean, recounting the elaborate history of the Earnshaws, the Lintons, and Heathcliff with a lot of questions that kind of remove, that that kind of remove poses as to reliability and memory and things like that. Um, And I'm not sure how much we will talk about this, uh, but Nellie Dean really is a character in her own right, as she is this like kind of second order narrator. So anyway, here's the story Nellie recounts. About 25 years earlier, so this will be the 1770s. Mr. Earnshaw, who is the local landlord and owner of Wuthering Heights, he has these two kids, Hindley and Catherine. He goes on business to Liverpool, uh, and we'll talk about this. Liverpool's a really important port city and a city central to the slave trade. And, and I think that's that's you know, it's it's kind of crucial to keep that in mind. And he returns with this extremely poor, quasi-feral child that he's adopted from the streets of Liverpool. They name him Heathcliff, which is both his first and last name. He just has one name. And Heathcliff is marked as other in all kinds of ways. So, I mean, poverty, of course, the adoptedness, like he's in the family, but he's not of the family in in terms of like bloodline. He's definitely racialized. So Earnshaw's wife, when she first sees him, calls him, quote, a gypsy brat, uh, which at this period could be anything from the ethnic slur for for, uh, Roma people to traveler, like Irish travelers, to to the itinerant poor. Like it has a lot of potential significations. At one point, a character wonders if Heathcliff is, quote, a little Lascar or an American or Spanish castaway. Um, And Lascar refers to uh, poor South Asians who are sort of pressed into East India Company service as sailors. He's frequently described as dark, uh, like his black hair is is, is often remarked upon, um, and also kind of as like, quote unquote, dark features, however we want to interpret that. And, and again, I do want to note Liverpool's status as a slaving port. The important thing, I, I think, isn't to ask the pretty reductive and like, frankly, dopey question of what Heathcliff's race is, quote unquote, supposed to be, other than to note that otherness and at least potential racialization are very much in operation around him. Um, and, and, and and I I actually think that keeping over the many possible significations of that makes it a more interesting sort of novel, right? Because it actually cues us in so many different directions to think about it, but being potentially like all of those, right? Or like that yeah. those may come up in different kinds of ways, or that you know, dark can mean like Irish, or yes, the, you know, that the colony is at play here too, right? So it's like it's whether intended or not brings to the fore questions about how race is made in otherness and in the sort of like he's a very different kind of orphan that i think of as being the victorian novel orphan yeah 
Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Well, and yeah, and the 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 adoption of him into the family is, uh, you know, it it weird in 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 this this kind of novel. It's you know, so it's yeah. Anyway, but but uh, there there's a there's a lot of potential layers there, and and again, I think keeping those layers open is. you know, it, 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 it just, it, it adds to the kind of effectiveness of the, of the novel. 23 and me would ruin this as it has ruined many things. <laughs> That's yeah, but, true. But I mean, there are fucking like readings that try to do that shit. It's like, you know, like, hey, the cliff is clearly, I, and honestly, I mean, one of like, it, this isn't Terry Eagleton's claim, but I, I'll get to Terry, like, you know, that like Heathcliff and the Great Famine, right? Which again, and Terry Eagleton is wonderful, but, but I think there are versions of that that are due. It's like, we should have established that Heathcliff is clearly Roma. And it's like that. No, you haven't. He's a fictional character, you know? I'm <laughs> right. I'm going to say like, just so we're all clear again. This is not a real person. Yeah, yes. Someone yeah, made exactly. them up in their head and wrote it down. And they're exactly. made of words now. Exactly. Even though there's like 40 versions of him in 40 movies of this, including Laurence Olivier. Yeah, which is a weird thing. Seems wrong. Yeah. But. Yeah, who? Okay, well. Yeah. Also Timothy Dalton, which is pretty funny too. Should Kenneth Branagh, I'll play him. <laughs> God. At least um, he's from Jesus Ireland. <laughs> Uh, can you fucking imagine? Um, I'm surprised. Yeah, in the Hamlet movie. Yeah. Don't cut a word. <laughs> All 75 hours of it. Yep. So Mr. Earnshaw really, really takes to Heathcliff. He likes him better than his own kids. Uh, certainly better than Henley, who is this obnoxious ass. And Heathcliff knows this. So Henley is very much a bully. He'll beat up Heathcliff. I mean, Henley's older. And Heathcliff will just be like, fuck you. And, and he like, so here's something Heathcliff says. You must exchange horses with me. I don't like mine. And if you won't, I shall tell father of the three thrashings you've given me this week and show him my arm, which is black to the shoulder. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, I mean, he'll, yeah, like, Henley will just beat the shit out of Heathcliff. He's like, all right, dude, you'll keep it coming. You know? Everyone's a little psycho in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I would really like to talk about what we think the novel is doing here vis-a-vis how Heathcliff is constructed as sympathetic or not. I mean, I think telling the landlord's son to get fucked is dope. But there is definitely the invitation to read him as like calculating in some way or maybe kind of a usurper, which is absolutely how Henley interprets it. However, Mr. Earnshaw soon dies. And Heathcliff's fortune entirely changes. So he is, quote unquote, degraded to the status of a farmhand. And this magnifies when Henley brings home a very sickly wife. And, and like everyone in this novel is sick as shit all the time <laughs> a few years later. And, and she instantly hates Heathcliff. But he Heathcliff does have one friend, Catherine, who's very much a kind of soulmate. Like they run all over the moors together. They're rebels together. We're told Earnshaw had raised them, quote, like heathens, which is unclear what that means, but it's, you know, there's a kind of wildness about both of them. Um, And the childhood part, it's quite sweet, I think, uh, more than anything else. Yeah. I will note, this comes up later, and it's kind of, maybe it matters and maybe it doesn't. She says on more than one occasion, we're the same person. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a a thing. I saw that on someone's sweatshirt when I was standing in line at a dispensary. What was it? I, it was I like our him. souls are both made of doo-doo or whatever. <laughs> Stardust? I don't fucking know. It's like whatever they're made of, it's probably something bad, but they're the same thing. Because oh, we are no. we are the world, we are the children. We have the same soul. It's fucked up. Yeah, yeah it's bad. <laughs> yeah. 
but we come to a crisis point when Catherine and Heathcliff run to Thrustcross Grange. This is, they're both in some kind of trouble. I forget what exactly has happened, but they both run off in the night to Thrustcross Grange, which is owned by the Linton family. And the Lintons do a Monty Burns and release the hounds on them because they think they're robbers. <laughs> and, and Catherine actually gets bitten quite badly. And, and so she has to stay with the Lintons for several weeks while she recovers. But they send Heathcliff off back to Wuthering Heights after a lot of fucked up and racist comments. So again, I'm like like Edgar Linton is put forward as this like sympathetic guy, but he's also a fucking like his family also sucks. You know, it's so I, I, I feel like Heathcliff is like tried to be made not sympathetic, but is still sympathetic. Edgar, they're really like, oh, no, isn't he a nice guy? And he just kind of sucks, which we'll mm-hmm. get to. Um, yeah, yeah, he sucks. Yeah. And so anyways, during this time, like Catherine also falls in love with the Linton son, Edgar, who, again, you know, is supposed to be nice, but also is just sort of this ineffectual wet blanket over the novel and not really that nice and just kind of like beta bro. right? (laughs) But Edgar is very into Catherine and and Catherine is torn between the two dudes. So here's what she says to, to, to Nellie Dean. I've no more business to marry Edgar Linton than I have to be in heaven. And if the wicked man in there had not brought Heathcliff so low, I shouldn't have thought of it. It would degrade me to marry Heathcliff now. So he shall never know how I love him. And that not because he's handsome, Nellie, but because he's more myself than I am. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. And Linton's is as different as a moonbeam from lightning or frost from fire. That is so fucked up. It is. so fucked up. Like whatever his soul is. Go to therapy. (laughs) Well, and it's also one of those moments when again, where I don't. It is like a what the fuck. What the like on I'm I swear to God on Bronte's like that's on purpose yes. that she's yes. like what yeah. the fuck well it, yeah. it's it's the kind of sentiment that I, you know actually the, it's sort of Adam Smith hours here right a theory of moral yeah, sentiment yeah, that yeah, like yeah. you that, that you're you can't enter it like something like a, a thought or a feeling that is that extreme you can't really enter into that because it I mean one I mean it's it's like quasi deranged first but it's also it's just an intensity that uh like really like how what does that even mean but I also do think the sheer intensity of it like you feel for her there and for Heathcliff even though you're like I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about like what would that even look like you know just you just sound 12 yes or crazy well she is one of the craziest novelistic characters I have ever encountered like she she's a a 12 out of 10 (laughs) yeah all the time she has that line she has this great Trump line where she's like I could kill Edgar and he wouldn't be mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. No, I mean, yeah, there's a there's a there's a weird like sociopathy to Catherine, I think, you know, but not the sociopath who like has no feelings and just mimics human feelings. Like the the just like this excess, this emotive excess, which also is Heathcliff too. So okay, now we're getting to like what she might kind of mean by that. You're so fucking annoying. <laughs> I mean, well, yes. In in reality, all of these people be like, I I need to get far the fuck away from here. But and that okay, I know we'll talk about it, but that is something. This is just making me think of like the value, the narrative value of having Nellie Dean here. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, yeah, ma- ma'am, yeah, I think yeah. you've been quite enough, yeah. 
and and Nellie like constructs herself that way too in her retelling that she's she's like this sort of impartial observer who could is like the kind of like cool toad that like makes all of this in some way narratable. Mm-hmm. Although again, I think you know now like some people observe a kind of like self servingness as well to sort of Nellie's commentary, which I think yeah, I mean that that's worth thinking about too. You know, it's just the way she tells us what's happening that makes it we become oriented to these characters in a way that's like. I don't want to be in this bitch's head. Right. Can't Catherine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it sounds like kind of a very troubling place. So, okay. So Heathcliff is eavesdropping while Catherine says this to Nellie, but he runs off after she says it would degrade her to marry him without hearing the, he's more myself than I am part. So it sounds really bad, (laughs) right? Uh, From his perspective. It's about to sound worse. If you listen to the whole thing. (laughs) <laughs> yes, 100%. And and so Catherine does marry Edgar, and we don't hear from Heathcliff for a few years. In the meantime, Henley's wife dies after giving birth to Hareton. Henley becomes a raging alcoholic, uh, sends Nellie Dean away, and entirely stops Hareton's education. Like, there's this one line that we, we don't need no women here anymore, and we're not going to read, we're just going to drink and do farm stuff. <laughs> Sorry. Seems hard, but okay. Yeah, yeah. And and, and when, next we see Harrington. He's illiterate and pretty much feral, and he throws rocks at Nellie. <laughs> like she's like, "Hey, don't you remember me? I used to be your friend." And he's just like throws rocks. <laughs> the least deserving character. Yeah. Even though she may not be fully reliable, I still think no. don't yeah. fucking throw yeah. rocks at her. Don't. I agree. I, and on, I'm I'm not that skeptical of Nellie's retelling. I have to say. I mean, I you know that's that's would provide an interesting reading but i i just i don't know it's whatever it's like there of the many directions you can take a reading of this novel that's not one that i'm i'm all that into although i'll get to you know in the context part i'm just so desperate to feel any sense of stability that like her stabilizing influence is yeah. like mm-hmm. i just need it so badly yeah yeah well so actually i'm yeah. gonna in the context i'm gonna give us a reading that that does sort of trouble that and i think in an in, in interesting way but okay so a few years later though heathcliff shows up at thrust cross grange and some now he's made a lot of money never explained very mysterious he's staying with Henley, which what the fuck they hate each other uh they still hate each other but he and he basically has this elaborate plan to destroy him so he encourages Henley's drinking he gambles with Henley constantly and slowly wins all of his money and land and and Heathcliff and Catherine commence what's strongly implied to be a torrid affair. Uh, how, how much bagging we're supposed to imagine is up to interpretation. But there's one scene where Catherine forces Heathcliff to his knees by his hair, saying, I wish I could hold you till we were both dead. And then she's got a fistful of his hair when she finally lets go. And he's been squeezing her so tightly her skin is marked. And for a 19th century British novel, this is all very turnt and more than a little fucked up, right? Like so. And I just want to because I, I, I'm sure, you know, some people uh, would be like, oh, but it's never said that they have sex. What do you mean? And it's like, OK, one, when we're talking about sexuality, has to be able to publish this book. Yes. Yes. One, like sexuality was written around in a lot of kind of mainstream publications of this era because you had to in order to get it published. But also like, when we, when, you know, with literary critics or when people work in like, you know, gender and sexuality studies, say sexuality and sex, like it doesn't physically need to be bangy i mean it can just be like circuits of desire and that kind and feeling and that you know what i mean so hair pulling 
Yes. Yeah. And hair, yes. Right. I hair, mean, that's, that is that's such a hair. horny thing to do yes, in the I 19th mean, century novel. Yes. Like, like actual sex or not, this is like an extremely intense physical encounter between yes. characters. Like it is definitely within that realm of, of the, of the, the overtly sexual, right? At first, Edgar tolerates Heathcliff, but, you know, obviously they come to blows. I mean, you know, I mean, how would that not happen, <laughs> right? And, Catherine and Ca- Heathcliff came to blows, too. hey <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was good. And Ca- Ca- so Catherine goes insane, uh, or more insane, of course she does, and promptly dies of horniness, I mean childbirth. Uh, so <laughs> she bangs her head on a sofa arm so hard. She bleeds out of her face yeah, for yeah, attention. Yeah, yeah. And then and then like, yeah, she uh sort of I think before this scene, but she's just it like after one of Henley and Heathcliff's major fights, she just takes to her bed for days and doesn't eat and just tears her pillows apart. <laughs> like, with her teeth. Yeah, with her teeth, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She that so it is that scene where she's like holding on to his hair and yeah. She says, I wish I could hold you till we were both dead. I couldn't care what you suffered. I care nothing for your suffering. <laughs> oh, this yeah. is some DS stuff here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, why shouldn't you suffer? I do. Will you forget me? Will you be happy when I am in the earth? Will you say 20 years hence, that's the grave of Catherine Earnshaw. I loved her long ago and was wretched to lose her, but it has passed. I've loved many others since. Now she's having these fantasies. She's having these like yeah. cuckold, cuck fantasies. She's a whiny dominatrix. <laughs> she's a <laughs> I've loved many others since my children are dearer to me than she was and at death I shall not rejoice that I am going to her I shall be sorry that I must leave them will you say so Heathcliff don't torture me till I'm as mad as yourself cried he wrenching his head free and grinding his teeth the two to a cool spectator right so this is the like yeah. you know narrative influence of someone else coming in here made a strange and fearful picture Stepping down a little bit, her present countenance had a wild vindictiveness in its white cheek, for sure, mm-hmm. and a bloodless lip and scintillating eye, and she retained in her closed fingers a portion of the locks she had been grasping. Like, yeah, yeah, nuts. She, she's, she's just, and later in this, she falls into a dead faint. They literally don't know if she's dead or alive because she, like, gets too horny to live. Yeah. No, and and Megan, the 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 it is nuts. Also, I mean, the, like the DS stuff is real. I mean, there's a not a universe. I mean, there are there is cruelty in the novel that is supposed to strike you as like abhorrent, right? And I and I you know kind of like really sort of okay. I don't I like fuck this character, not in a good way, right? But there's also like a the, again, and this is the kind of Byronic antihero aspect, not just of Heathcliff of Catherine too, yeah. where like oh yeah, they're like the 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 eroticism around them is dependent a bit on their like they're gonna fucking throttle you, you know what I mean, like that. Yeah. And and here it's Catherine, you know, who's doing that, you know. So and it is intentionally sort of like you are kind of laughing at the same time. You're like this is broad as fucking. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. There. Yes. No. There's many things happening. You're right. It's a little bit like, what the hell is wrong with these people? It is definitely supposed to be more than a little bit enticing. It's also supposed to be more than a little bit horrifying. You know, it's it, and it's it's like again, this is what it's like a very pulpy kind of scene 
but also really powerful. And at the end, you're like, what the fuck did I just read? You know? yeah. like, so I mean, and I had been looking, we knew we had been building toward it because she kept having those moments yeah. where she was like, you know, going to her bed and there's a scene where she rips a pillow with her teeth. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. they're like, and Nellie Dean is like, there were feathers everywhere. Yeah. And it was nuts. And <laughs> just like, Oh my yeah. god, lady! Like, yeah. so she's like taking all the feathers out, deciding yeah. what uh-huh. birds they go in. Yeah, yeah. Seems like she wants yeah. to stick one back into the bird. Seems yeah, like that's gonna go wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Just rub one out, lady. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, she kind of is. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like good point. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. yeah. And so, yeah. So Catherine dies. You get you know childbirth. Which wait, was she was pregnant? What you know. And Heathcliff also goes insane. Not that he already wasn't. Uh, he and he's already become a ma- malevolent. And what also like his kind of insanity again, like just becomes like vengeance machine, right? Yeah. Um, he's already more than a little bit ma- ma- malevolent. Like we learned that he starved a family of birds to death when Catherine was staying at the Grange. This is like what she she remembers this as she's like going through all the feathers in her bed, and you know, and 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 then uh, he you know he hangs a dog at one point, which Katie. Does yeah. he wet the bed and set things on fire too? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Does I mean, he have that, a head right. injury? Well, right. And that's the get. This is okay. In some aspects, is like, ooh, like, who is this mysterious guy? Like, it's, you know, sexy, mysterious. And then there's things like this, like, no, this is like serial killer shit, you know? Yeah. There's a scene, I think it's Kathy, the daughter, who he grabs and like shakes her so hard that she's like, my teeth rattled. Yes. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. And he. And he. Yeah. And he. He like smacks her around and shit like that. I mean, he's he's a. Yeah. He. He's a. Yeah. Anyway. And he. Yeah. So I. I mean. It again. His. Really nasty shit. The the anti-hero seductiveness veers very quickly in many scenes into like, no, this is just violence is yeah. what this is, you know? Yeah. So, uh, okay. Uh, Edgar's dumbass sister, Isabella. Don't worry. I'm not going to say much about her. Um, she she gets hot for Heathcliff and he hates her, but marries her pretty much to fuck with Edgar. That's his point. And as I said, Heathcliff is abusive as hell to Isabella and she runs away and gives birth to this total dipshit son named Linton. He really fucking with Heathcliff on that one when she named him Linton. Um, and- I- I will note that there's a great scene where Isabella explains to Nellie why she likes Heathcliff. And she's like, because he's nice. And Nellie's like, no, he's not. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because he's yeah. rich. Yeah, she's and like, she's like, I know it's pretty weird, though. Yeah. How do you get rich? And she's yeah. like, uh. Yeah. Heathcliff's relationship with, with Nellie is interesting because Nellie seems to be the only person he actually, lo- other, I mean, yeah, well, and Catherine's not like it's, I mean, this deep sort of like love attraction. But Nellie's the only character he kind of likes. He's like, hey, hey, Nellie, how are you doing? Long time no see. Do you want to know how I'm going to fuck with it this time? Like, I'm going to steal their estate. I'm going to fucking murder them. And she's like, okay, man, you know, like, she's like, we don't actually have like mutual class interests. So yeah. Maybe don't tell <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Why are you telling me your dastardly plans? Aren't you yeah. supposed to do this to the people you're doing those dastardly plans to? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it, yeah. Isabella names and Linton is this fuck you to Heathcliff. And also again, like, do these people know there are more than four names you can pick from? Right. Like, <laughs> so. No. <laughs> okay, I'm going to wrap up the summary quite quickly, even though this is the, it, the all of volume two in a paragraph. I said Catherine died in childbirth. She has a daughter, Catherine. Again, what more names, man? Like, come on. <laughs> we need more names. This is the Catherine that Lockwood sees at Wuthering Heights at the beginning of the novel. Isabella dies because that's what people do in Emily Bronte land. And Heathcliff insists that his his son, Linton, come live with him, even though he knows he's a sickly Eric Cartman-esque weirdo. 
And basically, he constructs this elaborate plan for Catherine to marry Linton to both fuck over Edgar and fully secure Thrustcross Grange. Like he becomes the sole inheritor, and he also knows his idiot son's going to die. So, uh, because he's you know sickly and covered in mucus all the time. And one pillow is not enough, but two pillows. Yeah, yeah, I I didn't mark that quote, Megan, but uh, yeah, see, yeah, like Nellie, or yeah, like Catherine go, like Catherine feels sorry for him and goes to like care for him, and she's like, "Here, let me give you a pillow." He's like, "That's not enough pillows. No, that's too many pillows." Longinus, he's marked it because it was so exemplary of his being such a fucking baby. Yes. Oh, he's such a little wiener, which is the most attractive thing you can be if you're a man. In this, is just like a little. Like yeah. a shitty little wiener. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I said the Eric Carmen thing because he's he's mean as shit too, you know. But he just he he seems so uh, pathetic that the, he gets kind of away with with stuff. So and also the other thing he Cliff is trying to do is further degrade Harrington Earnshaw as much as possible. And and Henley is long dead at this point, so this is just pure post mortem vengeance. He kidnaps Catherine like straight up fucking kidnaps Catherine to make this marriage happen. Edgar dies, and then Linton, of course, dies. We knew that was coming. But things start to go wrong for Heathcliff when Catherine and Harriton become closer and closer friends, ultimately lovers, I think is the implication. She teaches Harriton to read, and Heathcliff kind of just fully loses it. Uh, he digs up Catherine, the mom's body, mm-hmm. uh, starts seeing ghosts everywhere. And then Heathcliff dies. He sort of starves himself. Like he just like loses interest in life. And he is buried between <laughs> Edgar and Catherine. Dope. It's so good. How did he swing that one? I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, it's and here's so how funny. It I really wanted him to die in a more dramatic fashion, but that's for that. I'm sure that's on purpose on her part. Yeah. yeah. Hey, come on. Can you two shove over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, <gotta be> dead <laughs> here. I just wanted him to jump out a window because there are all these like weird window scenes oh, where no. like Kathy jumps out of a window and then Lockwood fucking punches a window. Yeah, which yeah. <laughs> is a very smart thing to do. Yeah. Um, speaking of our big wet boy there, Lockwood coming back at the end, and here's how he ends the novel: like looking <sighs> at these graves. I, I, had, I was horny for this lady, and she didn't like me, and she yeah, did like so, me, yeah. and then I looked at her. Sorry. And then it happened again. Uh, he's the worst. Unfortunately, we don't have to spend that much time with him. But yeah, so he's he's looking at the graves, and now now he's he's Mister Philosophy Guy. I lingered round them under that benign sky, watched the moths fluttering among the heath and harebells, listened to the soft wind breathing through the grass, and wondered how anyone could ever imagine unquiet slumbers for the sleepers in that quiet earth. I could. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I just what? read this book. D- did you yeah. listen to what yeah. any anything that Nellie said yeah. the whole did time? She, the book? she told she yeah. sat with you for like nine hours. Yeah. No, I'm I'm uh, in, in a minute. I'm gonna uh, t- uh, tell you guys about a critic who very much like draws the like what what WTF point of that of that final paragraph. Also, I feel like Jane Austen is like this is not what I meant for you to do at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you know? Yeah. She's, this is like the most fucked up version of Pride and Prejudice you could possibly. She's <laughs> like, this is yeah, not what yeah. I intended. Yeah. Please don't do this. No, no, no that, that guy's too mean. He's too mean. He's too mean. And the she Aust- is too crazy. It's not a fun way anymore. The Austin comparison is funny and because 
it you know Austin also famously you know a lot of endogamy and incest in her novels as well and like this the the, the decay of the fat the the estate and shit like that. But this is I mean this is kind of Emily Bronte taking like you said like the darkest version of Pride and Prejudice like okay okay let's let's I mean really I'm probably like Mansfield Park uh, which is gothic mm, as hell yeah, oh, totally. like okay well like rather than having some kind of happy ish ending what I'm gonna do is everyone fucking dies and <laughs> everyone is like extremely horny constantly yeah you know, but not that people aren't very horny in mansfield park you just have to read a little bit uh more, more closely than you do here yeah, yeah. and but there's less no hair one. pulling yeah. <laughs> yeah. and not everyone seems quite as catastrophically droolingly stupid no okay i have to know context though because i did read this kind of cold so please yeah so i'll say a little bit about its initial reception and also uh, what, what critics to, uh, more recently have been saying. So uh, on the Brontes, uh, one of the most famous literary families in English literature and, and famously really exceptionally tragic. Their literary output is truly remarkable. Three sisters, Charlotte, Emily, and Anne, as well as a brother, Branwell, who was a, a writer and painter. And the sisters produced some of the best-known Victorian novels, despite all of them dying very young. Charlotte actually lived the longest, and she died at 38. Um, Emily, we, you, I know you talk about this, but I want to mention, I'll get there. Okay, what yeah, she yeah, died no, of, yeah. Because it's so crazy. It is. Emily, uh, the author of Wuthering Heights, died at 30, uh, and Anne died at 29. But nevertheless, Charlotte, who wrote Jane Eyre and Villette, you know, Emily wrote Wuthering Heights. Uh, Anne was the author of Agnes Grey and The Tenant of Wildfeld Hall. And, and so why did they die so young? From the generally horrific environmental conditions of industrial village life in the mid-19th century. Yep. Are you going to talk about the dog bite thing? Mm, I don't think so. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, it's I just like the, well, the, do- the dog biting and the all the animals running about. Uh, Emily got bit by a dog and then was like, did did a secret cauterization i thought holy shit i don't think i knew that oh yeah so i think what happened was she was bitten by a dog that was suspected of having rabies oh and God. then oh. was like i'll just diy cauterize this holy shit i mean shit. what the fuck else are you going to do yeah yeah, yeah god you know, otherwise you're gonna we're gonna end up in their eyes for watching God, and I think we all know where that goes. <laughs> well, it goes to the, the everyone. What are you gonna die at thirty seven instead of? <laughs> right, you're gonna shoot your husband in the chest. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, so, but but well, so a- Emily and Anne both died of tuberculosis, and then Megan, we're getting to the part you want to talk about. Charlotte died of uh, hyperemesis gravidarum in pregnancy which so i had that and it is she so she died of of morning sickness she died of the barfs yeah which is like people don't die of that anymore because if you vomit so much that that you like lose weight or or you become dehydrated they they give you fluids what they like right Um, yeah because at a certain point if you just like puke all over your midwife at your 24 week visit like nobody i know they're like this is kind of a problem I, I've never heard of anyone dying of it. It's yeah. like the craziest thing that you could die of something that affects like kind of a lot of people, like one to two percent of pregnant people get this. And yeah. she must have died of like dehydration or yeah. an, a vitamin deficiency. Yeah. Like yeah. it is not easy to die of HG because it's dehydration. Yeah. That's they that did is not extreme. have Gatorade. They did not have Gatorade. No. They did not have IV fluids. I can't imagine how excruciating that must have been. Yeah. No, Even it's, though it's we awful. think like dying of the barfs is like 
they're worse things to die of but like that it probably was excruciating yeah yeah i, I don't know that's one of the worst what's yeah. one of the worst it's up there no i mean if i've ever had you know like stomach flu or something like two hours into it i'm like okay i just i want to die now you know like there's no there's no point it is like one of the worst worst ways of being sick oh really i threw is. up every day for seven months i know it's yeah that's oh, oh my god yeah thank god this human child is so cool <laughs> <laughs> and and also that i lived yeah yes yeah yeah well that, both that, are great thank god for the 21st century not that they can make you stop barfing entirely they don't actually have a solution to this problem except but they can try just... not to barf as much yeah yeah well also some other cool like health facts from this era so so the Bron- the bronte's dad was the local curate uh subordinate which is like a subordinate anglican priest and the bronte parsonage is surrounded by a graveyard and it is widely suspected that the graves leaching into the water supply contributed to all their deaths and also sickness in the village generally it's yeah yeah, um, I I've been to Haworth uh, with with my wife and parents. The same trip we visited Shandy Hall, which is dope. Um, Steve, Steve, I, I, a guy who Stephen Fry played in a cock and bull story will give you the tour there. The Bronte Parsonage Museum is one of the most depressing places I've ever been to, and yeah, like tombstones right up to the front fucking door. <laughs> like so, um, even though the surrounding countryside is beautiful and delightful, they were making tea out of dead people. Yep. Is this the same trip as when you saw the upside down walrus at yep. oh, Walter Scott's house? Yep. You did yep. a you book dork how cool Walter tour Scott's. of England? Yeah. What else are you going to do there? <laughs> Drink. Well, he, he could do that too. You know? Oh, <laughs> true. Yeah. Drink room temperature beer. Yeah. Room temperature beer. Yeah. yeah. I did museums. <laughs> what? Yeah. 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 That's, you know, that's, that's, you can, you can do museums and drink. But the whole family is super literary. The sisters all published under pen names. Kerr Bell was Charlotte. Ellis Bell was Emily. And Acton Bell was Anne. And people knew these obviously weren't real names. Like, no one's named that. Um, and they, they, they were kind of intentionally chosen to be obvious as pseudonyms. Uh, so in, in her preface to the 1850 edition of Wuthering Heights, which is uh, after Emily's dad, uh, Charlotte explains the nom de plumes thus. Averse to personal publicity, we veiled our own names under those of Kerr, Ellis, and Acton Bell, the ambiguous choice being dictates by a sort of conscientious scruple at assuming Christian names positively masculine, while we did not like to declare ourselves women, because without at the same at, at that time suspecting that our mode of writing and thinking was not what is called feminine, we had a vague impression that authoresses are liable to be looked on with prejudice. We had noticed how critics sometimes use for their chastisement the weapon of personality and for their reward a flattery, which is not true praise. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like deferring the sort of like gendering bullshit of like the, the woman novelist in the, you know, how the woman novelist was perceived in the in uh, 19th century, but also not, you know, kind of leaving over. It's like, yeah, we're, you know, we probably think that these are women that wrote this, right? And it's bad enough that mo- novels are made to be read by ladies right. without yeah. thinking that they might be written by ladies. You know, it's funny because obviously, I mean, w- women writers are central to the novel from its very inception. But, you know, by the mid-19th century, there are a lot of women. Right? I mean, Jane Austen is, you know, one of the most famous writers of this century, much beloved in the 1840s. And it was no list, but, you know, so it, it is kind of, Why I don't know. Why the fuck it's, did George Eliot publish under a pen name? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a few weeks, but yeah. Everybody knew this was not a secret. No. Marianne. No. But yeah, early critics were very weirded out by Wuthering Heights. Uh, 
<laughs> oh, just that. Really? <laughs> and the recent Oxford edition compiles a lot of these reactions. Largely, they were like, WTF is this thing? The general consensus is a lot of promise, a lot of quote unquote genius, but unformed or immature. Um, several critics thought Wuthering Heights was written by Kerr, Bell, so Charlotte as, as this kind of juvenilia before she perfected her craft in Jane Eyre or some, some shit like that. That's not totally unbelievable. No. I mean, Jane, we'll do Jane Eyre someday. It is also quite horny, but not, not like this. Differently <laughs> horny. It's different. It's, it's not pillow biting horny. No, no, no one no. did that. A lot of reviewers were because Victorian chuds uh, were freaked out that there didn't seem to be a clear moral didactic purpose. Like fuck off. At the same time, a lot of reviewers found the characterizations really compelling. And again, this idea of like raw, unformed genius. Um, here's one. I'm sorry, just as a way to like, just have to back up half a second. It's not like novels were only moralistic before this. No. No, that just seems like it's funny to me to sort of like reflect on the fact that there are reviewers can be behind their own times. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, we don't always know it, you know, so it's like, yeah, we can say yeah. like these what fucking year is this? Like when we read stuff, when I read stuff from the contemporary moment and people are like, how dare this thing have a politics? And I'm like, you are not Cleanth Brooks, motherfucker. Yeah, this is no. not 1931. Well, no, I mean, it is like it's like writing an essay in the Atlantic about how we shouldn't watch we shouldn't be watching court TV as as like the OJ Simpson. Tri- you know what I mean? Like right. it, yeah. it's it's yeah. you saying you don't like it yet you're yeah. watching it constantly. Yeah. I mean, it's not like dumbasses don't still do that. It's like, oh, what yeah. are your video games teaching the kids? You know, I mean, that's still there, but it <laughs> yeah. is, but it is, it's like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the shit that people in the 17 teens were freaked out about the novel. And 150 years later, they're still like, oh, what, you know, this, there's people, women might get horny if they read this, you know, it's, <laughs> um, but she does die of horny. So it's not she, like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. That's a lesson. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's just an example. There's this publication called The Atlas says, there are evidences in every chapter of a sort of rugged power and unconscious strength, which the possessor seems never to think of turning to the best advantage. The general effect is inexpressibly painful. We know nothing in the whole range of our fictitious literature, which presents such shocking pictures of the worst forms of humanity. Jane Eyre is a book which affects the reader to tears. It touches the most hidden sources of emotion. Wuthering Heights, it casts a gloom over the mind to not easily to be dispelled. It does not soften it harasses as it extenterates which i mean other than the like well that means it's bad like that's not wrong necessarily you know yeah. it's no like, i feel the same way i'm like that yeah. sounds true except yeah. it's cool yeah. and good yeah exactly <laughs> Modern critics are in general agreement that this book absolutely slaps. Um, and as we've discussed, there's a ton of different lines you can take on it. Psychoanalysis, gender critique, uh, the incest and dogamy stuff. As someone who studies empire and postcolonial theory, I'm particularly interested in the many accounts, again, of Heathcliff's othering. There's also the sense of the Yorkshire countryside as this kind of internal other to the metropolitan mm. center, which I think is interesting. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, but Terry Eagleton has this very famous account of the 1990s in a book called Heathcliff and the Great Hunger, where Irishness and the fact this novel was published during the potato famine, um, and again, Bronte's uh, dad was was born in Ireland, is suggested as quite relevant. And, and I totally buy that. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's a really smart um, uh, line to be thinking about. 
But one place I might point listeners who really uh, want a, a great con- and concise reading of this novel that kind of holds open all those questions is a blog by uh, Victorianist critic Nathan Hensley uh, entitled The Lapwing's Feather, which comes from a talk that Hensley gave recently. Um, and in that, he suggests that- Spoiler well, alert or con- content warning. There is John Locke in that blog. <laughs> there, yes, there is John Locke, but 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 as a but as a punchy bag, okay, which is the only way to treat Locke. Huh. Uh, and 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 Hensley suggests that Wuthering Heights actively resists the kind of rationalizing and systematizing accounts that the realist novel sought to produce, which many critics have pointed out is so closely associated with both Empire and Capital. Um, so this is quoting from Hensley. But Lockwood's narration of the benign sky. So here we're back to that final paragraph and soft wind breathing for the, through the grass at the very end of the book dares to believe in line with the emergent official reason he represents that closure has come to the novel's world heteronormative conciliation achieved ghost stilled and quiet earth. It is an apparently successful conclusion that offers to readers whatever pleasure might accompany the reduction of the novel spinning entangled chaos into something like closure. The problem is that it's a lie. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's great. yes. And he's right. No, I mean, a hundred percent agree. Yeah, nice. the I, just, I dis- like the way that's written. You know, it's like most academic critics can't get their shit together to be like, except. No, no. And, and, and yeah, Hensley, Hensley is. is a great, is a, is a really great writer among, uh, among many other, other things. Really great critic. The soothing conciliation of sibilance and, and voiceless fricatives, moths fluttering out the heath and harebells, soft grass slumber sleepers, performs resolution and peace, the prose seeming to agree with Lockwood's reading, the ghosts have been stilled and all is quiet. But on inspection, we see hints that this allegedly dead world sleeps unrestingly. It is not a bee, but a moth, emblem of the night that flutters among the flowers, and the soft wind breathes because it is charged with the life that the novel's peasants, if not Lockwood, know still walk the moors. Located as it is in the point of view, an, uh, an imbecile tourist and serial misreader of the unruly territory he visits, this stilled set piece becomes legible, not as closure, but as the fantasy of it, albeit a fantasy whose de- definitive liquidation is by virtue of the groundless narrative architecture of the novel withheld from us. Uh, we cannot rest in even closure's refusal, um, which I think is just great. And and again, it is that idea that like the, the chaos of the novel, the irrationality of it as mm. something that like, no, we don't get to contain that. We're not doing like capitalist, like imperialist rationality hours. We're doing something a lot messier and cooler and very critical of that, I think, is just a really great um, and, and and wonderful way to read the novel. Well, and there is something like, ex- which is exactly what he's saying, yeah. which is that like, there's something profoundly unsatisfying about that ending yeah. in a generative way, right? Yeah. Like there's something about that that I'm just like, but what? What, yeah. are, you ta- what are you talking yeah. about? Yeah. And, then, and, and so like, I just leave the book, close the book with all these like, questions and hangups and nastiness and and feeling like icky and and also like that was wild and i loved it and 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 i i am not entitled to a tidy ending and so even though of course it has to be in lockwood's voice too right to like Mm. say like oh this big dum-dum head is like what a tidy little ending with the mall thieves and the clover yeah. and the bees. And, yeah. Yeah. and it's just like, you're, you're a no. no. Her husband is right next to what? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're doing. My doing, husband and my boyfriend are both here. They're doing a poly. I looked at the dead polycule and I <laughs> yes. said to myself, yes. nothing can be more peaceful. They're doing a polycule under the ground. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, man? My boyfriend dug me up. 
Yeah. And I put him out. This is the least peaceful subterranean arrangement ever. Yeah. And and one thing too, I would add to that is that Okay, so like I, and this goes back to like Wuthering Heights being a very weird, like you know, they're they're the like the the landlord, but there's there's like three people at this fucking house. Like, what do they owe and shit? And it's all falling apart and dilapidated, and that I, you know, well, so okay, so like there's like this reactionary suggestion in that, like, but ultimately, like the bloodline is restored because Harrington finally assumed, like, he learns to read and assumes his rightful state, and, and, and he marries Catherine, and all's well and good, and we're we're back to like the the stable order, the countryside. It's like, no, like you do not emerge from this mess. And also it was already like a complete, it was like, it was already collapsed to begin with, you know? Um, That's so like yeah, if you read this book as though it were an episode of wishbone and you only got like the plot beats, but yeah, none yeah. of the writing. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like, and she meets this guy and then they, they're like, fuck, but yeah. they don't. And then, and yeah. then she marries this other guy. She dies. And then, there's a story about her daughter. You know, it's like if you got the beats, you would think like, okay, well then they they die and no, even that because you still end up with a, my husband and my boyfriend being yeah. married. Yeah. yeah, that's wacky. I love, I I love whichever Bronte this is, Emily. Emily, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, sorry. I mean, I know they're no. all good, Alice. But- yeah, no, Charlotte's good. We'll definitely do Jane Eyre and and maybe uh, Villette at some point. I I actually haven't read Anne. Uh, I know my my mom's a huge Bronte fan, and I know really likes Anne. But yeah, I no, I mean I'm I don't know if if, if Wuthering Heights is any indication. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff to you know to find here. I mean, it sounds like a cool house to grow up in. I have to say, except for the whole being poisoned by everything. Yeah. It's cool yeah. if it were a literary device and not lived reality it's cool if you're insensible to pain and you're also (laughs) don't want to die of morning sickness just a word cloud (laughs) so can we talk about that question of like the inherited you you said like a dumb a very dumb reader would be like the thing is restored yeah and patriarchal lineage and then like i could pull 20 quotes from all places that are related to this but Mm. like i can't make them into a picture right so it's like heathcliff shows up and he has money question mark yeah Yeah. that's not an inheritance yeah 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 well and you know like one of my uh, lines with a lot of 18th century fiction that does that like oh the restored blood is the bloodline or whatever is that it's often uh like the artificiality and convenience of it and like unexplainedness like Heathcliff's like you know kind of flags attention to that this is fantasy and that kind of puts pressure on itself Mm -hmm. but I think that that I mean and and yeah I think you see that in a lot like Fielding even for instance but here it's uh I mean it's that it's that on crack it's just there like yeah it's like oh so uh yeah hey Heathcliff he's got all this money where to come from doesn't fucking but but I think that that you know that also partially goes to Hensley's point about the, this resisting the rationalizing impulse yeah. of the realist novel that it doesn't, you know, and, 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 and that also like in a way that reanimates the supernatural question, right? Like Lockwood sees a ghost and then he's like, Oh, this was just my, you know, my disordered imagination because of what I had been reading. But I think the novel's like, or it was a fucking ghost that was going to fuck you. Good thing you punched at it. Cause it was going to fuck you <laughs> up. You know what I mean? Like, so. <laughs> yeah. That was punching a ghost was the right decision. Yeah. I mean, I think what I just wanted to add was that like Heathcliff is a man without a name. 
And the name device Mm -hmm. is actually central here. I'm not just being like Pat or saying it's like Faulkner, which does actually have like uh, problems with the patronym, you know, problems with inheritance, problems with like that, It, (laughs) except in a very like, I don't know, like in, in a like, maybe don't own people and it would make it less weird. But the the man without a name thing makes means that of course his money comes from nowhere yeah Mm -hmm. right it's like he oh and that he's an orphan because like she wants maybe i'm wrong but to me it's like you will never ever make heathcliff a normie you're never gonna make him into a good husband you're never gonna make him into like some kind of nice dad like he will never because he's cut off at every moment by these like genres of racialization, this namelessness, this orphanness. Like he's never, ever going to be this version of the sort of like white masculine patriarch. No. And that's cool as fuck, right? Yeah. That this novel actually means that it will never, ever resolve that. Because you're walking around, you've read this book and you're like, where's my resolution? Where's my where's my nuclear family? Where's the where's the thing that makes this okay? Where's the inheritance yeah. law? Where's the marriage? Whatever. And you're like, nope, no making this shit okay. Yeah. No, absolutely. You are just gonna stare at this polycule and misinterpret it. <laughs> it's all the I love this book so much. More yeah, that's great. It's so good. This was fun, yeah. Oh my god. It's the best. It's so good. And actually, Sorry. the Oxford, if you're if you listener are gonna buy it, is quite an attractive book. Like it's not You got a uh, different edition. I've got this. No, that's not attractive. Is that's oh no. Yucky. <laughs> I, I got I got this guy. This is co- cover illustration. Uh yeah, oh, I, 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 nice. I like that penguin too. Yes, yeah, it is good looking. What what's your I, it, oh it's your what's yours? It's a penguin. Yeah. This is this is Ophelia. Apparently, which uh, is not a bad. Uh, I guess uh, no. Actually, Ophelia is nothing like uh, Catherine Earnshaw. Like, what are we talking about? You know, but no, anyway. Catherine Earnshaw is like. There's actually something unbreakable about her. Yeah, does that make sense? Right, yeah. like she doesn't die. Well, yeah, she keeps coming back. She doesn't <laughs> die because she's fragile. She dies because yeah. she's like yeah. too much. She's like too much pussy for the world i don't know she's just too much like energy yeah well she died because she wanted to and no one could tell her no that's true yeah it's but the oxford i don't know if it's the older one or the newer one that's ugly or well it's not ugly it's just weird yeah i don't want to look at that broad's head (laughs) (laughs) nyrb put out a gorgeous edition of this no i you don't don't do that (laughs) not necessary anyway let's play a game well, as is it Twilight? Uh, yeah, it is. Hey. Obviously, yes. I'm so, I love things that are bad, <laughs> and this is part of that love. But uh, in the theme of liking bad things, this is bad in a good way. That's bad in a bad way. And what I want to know today is wh- which one of you is good in a good way, and who's bad in a bad way? Good way. What's happening? Who wants to? <laughs> who wants to be in a dead polycule? It's like who wants to be a millionaire? Apparently, according to my students, I am lawful evil. Oh, <laughs> I, I'm chaotic good. Yo. According to the quiz I was made to take at work. You're the opposite. So we're perfect. I was like, thank you. <laughs> lawful evil. Lawful. Okay, that's a rare one. I like it. Okay, but we're gonna find out. Are you Wuthering Heights or are you Twilight? Okay. And there's a clear way to lose this game. Yeah. But what I need 
from both of you is real honesty because this is going to be hard and not again not in a good way so um just just answer these questions as honestly as you can all right okay so gird your loins and let's let's begin okay which vacation sounds like more fun to you a run around the english countryside looking for the ghost of your dead girlfriend and you maybe peek in a coffin or two you just lift the <laughs> lid and you just take a tiny little peek <sighs> or b Run around the Pacific Northwest looking to hallucinate the image of the hunky boyfriend who dumped you by riding motorcycles and going cliff diving with Taylor Lautner. Damn, I can wish you hadn't said motorcycles. I mean, this, you know, I, like, well, no, I, 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 I do love the Pacific Northwest, but I, the, the, the 30 minutes of the Twilight movie, I've, I've, like, none of that, none of that appeals to me, particularly the vampire baseball. <laughs> Okay, you didn't laugh. You didn't laugh one time at Vampire Race. <laughs> I laughed the whole time, personally. It's so funny. No, it is hilarious, but it's just like not, not, not in that I would, I want to be there. Um, I'll go. <laughs> I, I yeah, I'll go digging up graves. I mean, like honestly, that is like <laughs> Americans go into Europe. It's like, what shall we go see? Let's go look at another church, and you spend a lot of time just looking at tombs <laughs> and dead people. So <laughs> I've done that. That's fine. Yeah, that's me. Well, okay. I'll go back to Slater Kinney, Washington, and hang out in the uh, rain with fake Indians. I don't, but I like I, d- Grateful Dead fans scare me, and I don't. That's I, not really that part yeah. of the Pacific Northwest, though. Okay, that's just the Eugene. Eugene. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm going to England anyway. <laughs> well, stay away from Arcata, California. Then <laughs> that's where um, I was born. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, Mad River Hospital in Arcata, California. Oh. A lot of things about me would lead you to believe that I should be a hippie. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I have, I'm so far in the opposite direction. <laughs> oh, man. You're reactionary. <laughs> I'm a reactionary anti hippie. Yes. Hippies um, are fucking reactionaries. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least true. the fucking yeah. libertarians. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. In an annoying way. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, Okay, why is this room covered in feathers? <laughs> a, you gnawed a pillow in horny despair before dying of being in love with your adopted brother. Or B, your fiancé, who is over 100 years old and a virgin, bit a pillow while deflowering you on a private island. Oh, A, because the second yeah. one is so fucked up because he fucks her to death. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. He d- yeah. He 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 almost if he if that pillow weren't there, it would have been a crime scene. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm with Megan A. That it's it, it it's I I don't want to say that Eddie of that scenario the Catherine Ernst scenario is like, oh yes, I could totally see myself in this situation. But it's just <laughs> I I wanna I just I just want to be very far away from Edward and Bella in, in all things. Mm-hmm. You know? I had a yes. I had a difficult enough pregnancy without imagining being chewed from the inside out yeah. of the, the tummy Ugh. Ugh. and then having to be remade as a vampire lady. You don't want your you, you don't want the the father of your child who is named worse than all these names. The, I'd take eight Catherines I, over I, Renesme, a portmanteau <laughs> of Renee and Esme. That is the most Utah ass name I have ever heard in my whole life. Yeah, it really is. Absolutely. 
Renez question. Sorry. <laughs> Renez May. Totally you, normal. Everyone ass Google. Man. Google Renez May. Just Google. Oh, just Google God. it. Just don't ask me why or just go to images. That's all I'm If you want to know what you. the uncanny is, look at those images <laughs> and be like, that's a human being. Have you seen the Polar Express with Tom Hanks? <laughs> You're about to be really scared again. Okay. What kind of a sick mind do you like coming up with with your shit? A third of a trio of the horniest sister authors of the 19th century? Or do you like it to be from one horny Mormon mom's dream? Her literal dream. She literally dreamed it. A, A, I have never answered a harder than any question in my life. I feel like I should like literally tape my two sisters' voices being like, we all said A. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, run it through an amplifier. (laughs) We don't, we don't need any other letters. Uh, That's so fucking. It's so, it's so sick that this woman was like, "I wanted to write porn for moms, but make sure it's not porn." And then the Fifty Shades of Grey uh, author comes along, is like, "But what if we just make it porn?" You know, like (laughs) the most reactionary porn. Yeah, porn. Yeah, ever it. It just goes to show that if you make porn and then you take out the porn, but then try to put porn back in again, you're never going to get it right. Yeah. 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 You know what? They just should have left it all alone and been like, read Wuthering Heights. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. They got, she got it right the first time. (laughs) Yeah. There was no need to redo this. Okay. We have, we have two questions. Are you, are you able to find summon the courage to answer these last two questions? Um, I hope not. Okay, here we go. Why didn't your last relationship work out? A, you wanted to get married to your cousin who is rich. (laughs) Or B, your vampire boyfriend said you weren't good enough for him and left you in the woods, but secretly he was just going to Italy to get some other differently evil vampires to kill him. I'm marrying for money. That sounds good. I just don't like the idea that my boyfriend would say like, I don't love you anymore, but not really. That's I, fucked up. JK. <laughs> I agree. And I mean, the, yeah, the, 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 and the incesty endogamy stuff of the, like, we must keep yeah. all the money in the family is super gross, but nothing like, look, I love what we do in the shadows, but I don't need to, I just, please no more vampires. <laughs> you know, like, you, I, I like only that one everyone's that's like, good. yeah, I'll marry my cousin. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, if it's good enough for Rudy Julia. <laughs> 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 it's been historically speaking good enough for a lot of people yeah well <laughs> all right here's your last question oh my yikes that cut it looks very serious what happened a my husband who married me to piss off my brother threw a knife at my head but mm-hmm. don't worry i pulled it out insulted his dead girlfriend and ran away to have my extremely annoying son <laughs> or b I got a paper cut at my boyfriend's house. Unfortunately, as they are sexy vampires, I got thrown through a glass coffee table when a scuffle ensued over my paper cut blood. But don't worry, his dad is a over 100-year-old undead doctor. So it was fine. Well, A, but also, like, I don't trust nobody who's doctoring started 100 years ago. No, mm-hmm. no. That's, no, like, really not. close to leeches time. Yeah, or, yeah, the fucking ether mask kind of shit. Like, yeah, yeah. but I diagnosed acute apoplexy of brain fever. Yeah, be- <laughs> no, I, I just, I, yeah, I, God, every Twilight one is just like, I am so glad 
to not have ever read this and I never will. Um, yeah. A, a, the, 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 the a one is more normal. So, you know, like, I've, I haven't read them, but I've seen the movies cause that's a lot faster than reading yeah. the fat books. Yeah. Yeah. It, both will just run through. You don't need any. You can do it with the ether, right? An ether mask <laughs> is the way to read it. Yeah. I That'll really... trust you. Sounds like a terrible post ether hangover, though. Also, it can cl- kill you. That's yeah. bad. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. I don't have an anesthesiologist just on call. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations, both of you. You won. I don't know if all of these answers were totally honest, but I think there is a greater honesty, a greater truth, which is not associating yourself too closely with the with the, with the any of the Twilight novels. They're bad, folks, but if you like things that are bad, you'll love them. Because they're the worst. Visit Yorkshire. You can see Shandy Hall, which is delightful, and you can go get depressed at the Bronte Parsonage in <laughs> the yeah. same day. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that book was extremely good. I'm excited. Middlemarch won't be as good, but that's okay. Anyway, this <laughs> has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find me on Twitter at Tesslersaurus. You can find Katie at Katie Crywo. You can find Tristan at TJ Schweiger. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Red Pod. And email us at betterredpodcast at gmail.com. But only if you are emailing to suggest an even hornier 19th century British novel. We haven't heard of any, so we want that email. (laughs) We'll read it. We take suggestions from listeners on occasion. (laughs) We do. Our intro music is Love Bronstein by the Redskins and used with their permission. Our logo was created by Jane Bonsack of JB Design and Content. Please rate and review and subscribe. And next week, we have Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express and Gene Stafford's The Mountain Lion on deck after that. So thank you, comrades. (laughs) 